0: It's Spring Term 2024, it's Episode 6. This is the Teacher Squad podcast with her, Jane Considine, and me, Heather Wright. It's going to be a great episode. Jane, what are you going to be talking about or singing about?
1: Well, I can't sing, but I'm going to let you know that I am going to be your private dancer. Dancer for money.
0: Mm. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to carry on that thought and talk about the magic musicals and singing your heart out in the car <gasps> yeah in
1: terms of writing we're going to be thinking about holding children in writing moments and
0: breathing plot
1: points to
0: life Lovely. and i'm going to shout out about badges and book blather. and we have got an absolutely wonderful guest full of knowledge experience and passion we have one of the founders of empathy lab with us miranda McKerny. you are going to love her interview. So much to squeeze in. Shall we get started? Yeah. Jane. Yes. Just so the listeners know, I've tried really hard today, you know, and getting on at me for being unfashionable. So, you know, there's no blanket on my knees today. I know you can't see that, but there's no blanket. I nearly brought my daughter's Stanley Cup and Nike blazers just to, <laughs> I don't think I can get my leg like, up that high to show you on the desk, <laughs> just to say, look at me, I can be fashionable, but no, they actually belong to my daughter. So I put a leopard print jumper on. Will that do?
1: Sexy. Yeah, I like it. It's always good to get yourself yeah. animaled up, babe. Yeah, there no, you look. Cute, and I like I like your pineapple thing you got going on as I well. See,
0: see, I've got a bun and a scrunchie in. Yeah, that's more to do with the fact that the hair's not very washed. So, but let's go with it's a fashion choice. And, it is um, a fashion
1: choice. It's not good to wash your hair, anyway, is it? It really isn't. Washing all those natural oils out. We're supposed to just let it, leave it, leave it. You know. So yeah, you're you're right on trend there, babe.
0: Love so it! I'm on trend. First time in my life. <laughs> Have you got? Oh, I'm waiting for the rhyme. Have you got lots to be um, grateful for oh, this week? Jay? Well, I went
1: to Dudley. Dudley? <laughs> Dudley. Yeah, and it was it was a training event in Dudley, and it was the day that everyone was expecting snow, and there was all the warnings and people coming from up north, and we lost a few with sort of anxious travelling. But it didn't really end up being snow in Dudley. It was just like this biblical rain uh, and it was awful. And um, and talking about hair, like me, I'm naturally curly and rain, well, actually any moisture – it's just like, that's your air ruined. Uh, it's a complete and utter frizz bomb. Um, and what I'm telling you all of this is when we got to Dudley and we found out where we were working, it really made me laugh because the room, uh, this it was obviously named, you know, in the late 90s or early 2000s, and it was called Vibe. Vibe. And it was, there's a lot of purple. And uh, I don't know what the vibe was because there was no windows. And it's like this This vibe, this is like, is this like a dungeon vibe without any of the good stuff? It's a bit of a weird vibe. (laughs) It's a weird vibe. And um, really, as the day went on, you know when you feel yourself going slowly a little bit sort of boxed in, cabin fever, claustrophobic? And just the impact of not having windows. And I just felt really a bit on I didn't feel like I had the right vibe all the time I left the room. Which kind of has made me feel very grateful ever since
0: for windows. I was wondering where this was going then, Jane. I was thinking this isn't this isn't gratitude. We've got there, we've got there. Go on, go yeah, on. Just so
1: yeah, I suppose I am here. This is a this is like a rubbish crap ride. But I'm here at my station with lots of appreciation for Woo-hoo! just. I don't know what's happening your end. I mean, this is a bit of a hard half term, isn't it? Because I always think you're a bit skint after Christmas, and it's it never feels like it's going to be a a mad one. Um, but some of us are on half term. I am, and some of us are waiting for half term. But I think like windows are really important aren't they and today was gorgeous looking out the window and yeah, uh, I, yeah it was really really lovely and there's been some go- I saw the sunrise uh I saw the sunset as well and they're both beautiful and I think this is the half term to kind of appreciate the small stuff you know the jigsaws the you know nice walks the snuggles and actually, all of us have to start the new Netflix series because I've read the book and it's brilliant one day, and that's just hit Netflix. So I'm going to snuggle down later and watch that. So, yeah, I'm grateful. I'm
0: grateful. A blanket with a blanket. Yeah. Or yeah. or
1: with some leopard print, sort of. Leopard
0: print underwear.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My hair scraped back, just casually lounging around.
0: <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Ah. Oh yeah. All good stuff I, I actually joke to Ian that like to work on my marriage I mainly get into sexy underwear reading the latest reports from the Education Endowment Foundation saying don't touch me because I've got loads to catch up with. So it's not like my halfway.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, whatever floats your boat. Um <laughs> Are you grateful? <laughs> I'm grateful. Well, you know I don't like early mornings. Yeah. Uh, But at the weekend, uh, me and uh, my daughter got up super early, did a big drive all the way up to Bristol. um, Because we went to see the wicked musical. Oh,
1: yeah. Uh,
0: It's so good, isn't it? It was my daughter's first time of seeing it. And it's my third time of seeing it. I've seen it in the West End. I've seen it at the Liverpool Empire and now I've seen it at Bristol Hippodrome I think it is for, for Bristol yeah. really nice theatre yeah. not been there before uh it's just uh, musicals are just great aren't they now I mean I, I'm I'm totally trendy now Jane because my daughter made us a Spotify list to listen oh. to on the way up you know which is like a revelation to me Yeah. Um, so she's sang- wicked inspired well, yeah. musicals, lots of musicals, nice. some Wicked, lots of musicals, and she belted them out three and a half hours a bit. <laughs> but it was it was just kind of floating around my brain and, and, you know, obviously all the way there and enjoying it, watching her with one eye and seeing how much she was just reveling in it and little moments where she was just like, oh, she didn't yeah. die. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and... J- just the just the joy in it. But as I was driving, um, you know, back, I was kind of just thinking about how brilliant their boss musicals are, boss. And I just, yeah, we could use them in school. We talked a lot about um, fluency activities and rereading, uh, you know, a performance, and just yeah, loads of great stuff. And we were listening to like Billy Elliot and Jamie, and I love to hear those musical songs where they're actually singing with their local dialect.
1: Oh, yeah, great. That's, that's
0: There's so, so many nice, good ones.
1: It?
0: So it was a journey of of joy and just my brain just fizzing around, thinking about the joys of language and, you know, getting under the skin and the empathy and the emotion, expression, all that of a musical. So if you haven't got any musicals in your curriculum, maybe it's time to zhuzh up your genres. Yeah. But I'm grateful for that. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, the, uh, Wicked is absolutely up there. I love Matilda as well. And, um, yeah, there's always ones to, to add. And you go through phases, don't you, of kind of loving certain musicals. Um, but I remember that. I, I have got lots of fun fond memories of singing uh, with my mum in the car, actually, when we used to go down and visit my gran. And, um yeah. But as I reflect back now, she used to make me sing in a duet with her. I'm a private dancer by Tina Turner. And now I know what that means. (laughs) This is a bit weird. Like, mum, I was 11
0: years old. I don't know how moral this was. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> ah that's brilliant that is so good but there's something about a car though isn't it? that that driving space that like this tin box and it's just your space and there's something about it that loosens you and makes you just free and you yeah. can belt it out and sing in harmonies that sound amazing in your head but to anyone else they probably don't
1: yeah. but, I, I love yeah. that in a car though when you look over and someone's you know having a mad one you know we've got <laughs>
0: Really going for it. Proper going for it. Yeah, brilliant. There was Uh, uh, one of the other ones that she put on the playlist was Heather's. Have you seen Heather's, the musical? No. Really good. But there's a a few uh, interesting phrases in some of the songs um, and also in in one of the six numbers. um, And she, she kind of belts that out and is like this kind of, I could sing that because it's in the musical song and I can get away <laughs> with saying some fallout words and she just looks yeah. over with that little eye and it's like mm, yeah. this is great yeah, yeah. don't I'll do that in your her. classrooms yeah, yeah don't do that in your classrooms <laughs> check out what you are singing. From, we should move on from musicals have yeah. you got um, a wonderfully summarized sentence
1: yeah i have um and actually it's always hard for me because it's about writing and i've got so much to say about writing in the curriculum and the teaching of writing but um i think the sentence is about um how we can be um a lighthouse teacher when we teach writing and that um it's really critical that we illuminate the way for our young little yachts who are fragile oh. and struggling out at sea often when it comes to writing and uh we've got to help them sort of navigate things creatively and we've got to keep them on course so they feel like they're in control but i think sometimes um when we look at kids writing um we know that they're struggling with a with a hell of a lot of things and uh and there's a lot of patterns nationally about what kids kind of uh well what we get a sinking feeling about and and what they find uh tough and um you know we know then they find spelling really hard punctuation um and a lot of their writing is um like little fragments because talk is fragments you know and and if they're trying to chuck their talk down that's often quite fragmented um and there's this other part that makes writing a little bit fragmented for young children it's when they start trying to use more complicated words you know like uh, conjunctions like when if that and because they have a go at writing complex sentences and they don't really have a concept of them and sometimes they just like lobby in a full stop after a subordinating subordinating clause if you can say it which I can't because that's why <laughs> the right curriculum is so damn tricky oh and they you know you've got low as a teacher you're reading loads of run- on sentences it's not just and then you know it can be so later and ultimately it can be lots of different words that kids latch on and just like overuse and um you know we've talking earlier about celebrating accent and dialect but of course in that celebration it can really kind of muck up the tenses they're using you know we was going you should have you know i'm gonna go and all of that so there's there's so much to sort um however you know what we've really got to do is make sure um that they're that we we keep it as clear as possible for them and that the big stuff is really really clear and we want them excited for writing we want them to um understand uh the nuts and bolts of writing so that they can you know they've got to learn stuff so they can be ultimately creative with it you know it's it's not gonna happen by accident um and one of the things um I've been working ever such a lot with schools lately is sort of for cognitive overload reasons um almost like less is more and and immersing kids in one moment really really well and um, how we can sort of breathe that moment to life so that kids have kind of a real sense of the content and the context so they're not trying to juggle too much plot you know they're just they're just writing something really really well and um, that kind of breathing something to life getting them to understand it before they even try and write about it getting them to kind of have more knowledge about the world um is really important so that it's kind of a level playing field for kids you know like all children kind of can come at the writing and have a sense of sort of this deep knowing about what they're writing and um you know just taking some time uh just to Get children into the writing and you know and again this you know we've talked about the the power of music but just not assuming anything for children so it's like less is more context is king giving children like a powerful picture that they can hook into and then holding them in a writing moment uh, t- to get them going you know so, rather than just turning the pressure onto them, you know, uh, what can you see in this picture? Let's say it's a little red riding hood. Actually, you as a teacher narrate it into the room and that they get a sense to listen along and hear the words and before they even try and um, show us what they can do, you know. So uh, that sort of breathing plot points to life uh, being an important part of that connection with writing. Um, just, just so you know what I mean. Um, it's, you know, the music would go on, the picture would appear in the classroom and, um, it would be something like this. Little red riding hood continued into the wood. The further she went, the thicker the forest became. The further she went, The dense and darker the forest became, and shafts of sunlight that glimmered in between the leaf canopy became narrower and narrower until it became quite dark. The earthy smell of the woodland was locked in heavy foliage, and the outside world quietened, and the woodland World and its sounds were magnified. The shrill shrieking of the jackdaws intensified and the creak of heavy branches closed in. She felt small now as the trees towered ahead. She wished Mum had come with her. Strange rustling caught her attention. What was that? Who was that? She felt like someone was watching her. So rather than this kind of overload of the whole story, let's get this part sort of under our belt a little bit um, and then sort of taking it from there. You know, for kids to truly be creative, they need a lot of help at living shared things together. And then they can start to kind of shine with their kind of own ideas, Um, especially if we furnish them with the the right language to kind of succeed at that moment. You know, there's just so much they're having to struggle with. And the hardest thing, of course, with writing is trying to orchestrate it all at once. Absolutely. You know, it's a tough one. It really is tough.
2: Like to
0: imagery at the beginning, and if I was a young one, well, if I were a young one again, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? If I was on a yacht, I wouldn't have a clue. All of the different things to control, yeah, my my sail would be going wayward. So it it, it is hard, isn't it, to just give them the space? Uh, but I like the word breathing in that as well, and we don't want them to be doing that panic attack because <laughs> yeah. that's when we get the rubbish and the fast and the it's there's a common theme with what you talk about Jane about giving them the slow down and the space to, yes. to do that and, yeah. and it's an important message
1: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely there's just so much there having to uh juggle and um you know they they need a chance to kind of do it well and and do it kind of deeply and s- sometimes um you know the the writing is too rushed, uh, and, it, and it's in the slowness that they can start through meaningful practice. You know, they can start g- getting better and start actually bringing their own ideas to life. Yeah, and absolutely, feel,
0: and feel the moments of success, can't they? Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Have you got something on your mind, Heather?
0: Well. Um, there's, I've always got lots on my mind, and it's always picking out what what what's what's good to to talk about this week. So as well as my leopard print jumper, uh, Jane, yes. she says she pushes out a chest. Have you noticed <laughs> that I'm I'm wearing um, some badges today? I don't know yeah, how clearly yeah, yeah. you can see them. So I can see these them. these are the sought after uh, reading rocks badges. Um. And, I, and the most recent batch has been available just for a few days um, on, on the website. Um, and nearly all of them have gone already. So if you want one, you need to get yourself on there quickly. And they seem to be very popular. And they say, one of them says, ask me what I'm reading. Yeah. And one of them says, tell me what you're reading. Oh. Um, so that they're both a bit bossy, both with the imperative. And as I was uh, packing all of those orders um, and looking at what people had chosen, uh, which which badge or, you know, the combinations of those badges, uh, I think I said in one of our earlier podcasts this term about noticing. I was doing a bit of that. And I was thinking... I kind of I like to imagine where these these badges are going and the kind of impact that they're having in classrooms around around the country. Um and some people had chosen to just get one version just just an ask me and that's the most popular actually mm. ask me what I'm reading. Um some people have got evens So ask me what I'm reading or tell me what you're reading. Some people had just got one or two and just think maybe they're just getting them for their own lanyard. Yeah, yeah. Some people had got like seven of each and you think, hmm, is that how many teachers there are? Are they getting all of the teachers to wear them? Or some of them are in bigger numbers, like 50 of them or 40 of them. And you're thinking... Is that for one child, one for every in the class, or are they giving them away for special reasons, or is that for the reading and pupil reading ambassadors? So I was kind of imagining all of these things, but ultimately what they're for is to inspire informal book talk. I'll tell you what else I noticed, which has got nothing to do with informal book talk. Well, there were loads of Claire's and loads of Joes who ordered. Ah, And I was thinking are they popular names in teaching or are they just teachers who just are particularly good at promoting reading for pleasure in school? Is this a correlation? Who knows? But maybe if you've got a Claire or a Joe in your school, um, could you let me know if they are good at promoting reading for pleasure? And if they haven't tried it, maybe maybe they should. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. um, Yeah. Thinking about informal book talk, um, badges and blether and it, it kind of just got got me thinking uh, about the importance of informal book talk so going back to what you're saying about giving the space and the time uh, it's important that that we do that um, I was talking to a group of ECTs uh, last week about uh, growing reading for pleasure in their own classrooms And I was talking about the characteristics. You said, "What what does it look like?" Not what's on the walls and what's you know on drawers and bits and bobs. What are the characteristics of a reading classrooms? And one of the words I chose was social. Actually, we need to see that the readers are connecting teacher to child, child to child, teacher or adult to adult, so that it's modelled and it's seen. Um, And actually, something else that we touched upon with the ECTs about that. Reader identity being really important. The teachers, um, but inviting the children into that reading life and saying, you know, can I talk to you about what I'm reading? So that that ripples out into the children having their own reading identity. So I guess what I want to ask listeners really is are you leaving enough space for informal book talk? Big one for teachers, because we're a bunch of control freaks, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Are we, are we letting go of the reins enough and giving the pupils enough control about what they talk about? And I'll put a link in the show notes, but the Open University um research that Professor Teresa Kremen led, led uh, the teachers as readers found that informal book talk is an important strand of reading for pleasure pedagogy. Um and it's the informal part that is really important and pupils showing choice and agency and volition only comes when we become the lighthouse and not the helicopter yeah yeah uh, so while right. we giving are we giving over enough control um, yeah, yeah. to the pupils do do teachers themselves uh, know enough about children's literature to support it Um, But also kind of giving you a break a bit and going, do you know what, if it isn't happening already in your classroom, it's not a light switch. It doesn't happen overnight. It is something that you have to nurture and nudge and and grow and model and show like like you would do with with reading. But then giving them the the space, you know, and making sure that there's no fear and no pressure and, and actually no highbrow, you know, what a child's response is and what they want to talk about within a book is is up to them, isn't it really? So
1: and, and I so think if you- um yeah sorry Heather, but I think when schools do that well actually you begin to see um children's strength of conversation with other children's going much deeper and conversations about we've talked about this before but like intertextuality that children are able to notice uh more frequently similarities yeah. between other books and I think that sort of spider web of thinking
0: around text is yeah. it's just so can, powerful they can genuinely yeah. recommend to each other and the more they do that they can the, the social aspect of knowing each other uh on the on a reader level um yeah. that relationship is is developed isn't it so yeah uh, if you if you were to ask me what I was reading Jane yeah. Um, Quite a lot of the time, I can't tell you. It's very hush-hush, not because it's Fifty Shades of Grey, (laughs) uh, but because, I've never read that, but because I'm quite often reading books to choose them for the subscription box, which is obviously a bit of a surprise. But I can tell you about this one because I've been working with Kyle Tudor uh, today, actually, on helping him create a school uh, author visit uh, workshop. So Kyle Tudor and Nicholas Slater has illustrated this book it's called one goose two moose so that's that's what i've been reading uh, yeah. and that's pretty good and then one other bit to get you blethering um my daughter showed me the back page in in the book that she's reading and it's a bit about the author ravina Gouron. yeah and she says in the back of the book and i shared this on my socials because i was a bit like what <laughs> she used to read she used to always read the last page Naughty. First. What? First. I've put put a poll up about this and quite a lot of people, I think we're about 600, have have, have done it. It's an 80-20 split, same 80-20 split on Instagram. 80% are a bit horrified to say, no, we don't read the end first. But there's this 20% for various reasons. So, Jane. Yeah. Are you in the 80% or the
1: 20%? I would never. I would never, you, yeah, it's, yeah, you don't want to look at, you'd be disappointed, surely. You you wouldn't know. It's, um, it'd yeah, it's hold no meaning, would it? It's just,
0: you know, well, sometimes was, the
1: endings are so small, aren't they? And so subtle and so nuanced. It wouldn't mean anything sometimes was, if you read it anyway.
0: I was quite interested in some of the people who, you know, explained uh, why they would do that. Um, and, and at what point like oh maybe when I was at chapter three then I'd have a little peek or yeah, so yeah. some people it reassured them For some people it helped with uh, different neurodiversities I was like oh that, that's that's interesting there's lots of things that you can talk about uh, about books you can talk about behaviors as well as characters genres you know choices things you like things you don't like so yeah. get your blether on.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't like to ruin the surprise. I mean, really, I like a surprise. I just you want know, <laughs> like something to
0: look forward to. Yeah, I, d- I don't like to ruin it. I like to, and I, I, I'm quite particular about an ending, whether it's a book or a, a film or a TV. I'm a bit disappointed if it's not round, you know, all the little threads are sorted. I don't mind a little window of opening for like book two. Yeah. But I get—I don't like ambiguous. No. So if you're going to recommend a book to me, if it's got an ambiguous ending, and you have to decide yourself, don't—I'll I'll, <laughs> be—I'll be cross. Ask—ask ask my husband. <laughs> he leaves the room if a film ends like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm not
0: having it. <laughs> I'm not having it. Shall I tell you about our fabulous... Oh, yes. will you? Jay. Yes. So excited! I'm hoping lots of listeners have been seeing lots of things about the Empathy Lab in the last week Uh, because they've recently shared their 2024 collection of uh, books. Uh, And we're going to speak to Miranda McKinney uh, today. Miranda is a social justice entrepreneur. What a great title. Uh, And she spent 35 years turning kitchen table ideas into nationwide campaigns,
2: culminating
0: in founding the Reading Agency, a national charity in 2002. Charity Summer Reading Challenge now involves 800,000 children every year. Uh, having retired, in inverted commas, to go trekking, she became fascinated by the building body of research showing that reading builds empathy. And this has led to her founding Empathy Lab. So, shall we invite her in to chat about it? Yeah, great. Hello, Miranda. Welcome to the Teacher Squad podcast. It's lovely to have you with us. Well, it's lovely to be with you. Thank
2: you for having me.
0: We're very excited to chat with you all about the Empathy Lab. But before we do that, um, we talked about the fact that you were supposed to have retired and you're supposed to be trekking. So let's forget, what are you supposed to be doing? And are you managing to do any retirement activities as well? Or are you just super busy?
2: Um so busy, kind of more busy than I was when I was running the reading agency, but partly because I've become a granny. And so I'm trying to sandwich in a granny day as well. She doesn't really fit. Um, so that really means working at the weekends to kind of squeeze everything in. But Empathy Lab is um, growing and... It feels like so important right now with what the world is facing um, and what our young people are facing that, you know, I feel more fired up than ever by the idea of using books more consciously and purposefully to build children and young people's empathy, understanding and skills.
0: Definitely. I'm glad that you're managing to squeeze a granny day in. That means you've got even more of an excuse to dive into and enjoy some gorgeous picture books haven't you but tell us the story of of Empathy Lab so you you you'd finish you passed on the baton with the reading agency what's what drove you you've shared a little bit but tell us a bit more about how where Empathy Lab came from
2: yeah, we um, well while I was at the reading agency, we, we were always very interested in the research, and we worked very closely with Teresa Kremen on the whole reading for pleasure area and how libraries kind of particularly uh, needed to come more fully into the picture on that. But there was this emerging body of um, neuroscience research and other psychology and humanities research. About being able to show much more concretely about the empathy building power of books and what happens in our brains when we read, and how our identification with characters and their feelings builds our real life understanding of other people. And of course, all readers know that. Um, But it was quite something to see, you know, psychologists and neuroscience beginning to produce an evidence base. And I was like, Oh, uh, is anybody doing anything about that or thinking about it? And of course, lots of teachers all the time are thinking about empathy, but making that linkage seemed to me potentially hugely potent for the education system and for society, because if you've got books everywhere, kind of ubiquitous in public provision and in homes, what if you could get a sort of double win? And be building empathy, understanding and skills off the back of that. And at that point, um, the sort of main societal concerns were about social media and the kind of casual cruelty it was enabling. And of course, now it's like, whoa, the pandemic, war, climate change, mental health, polarization, misogyny, you know, it's like. If ever the need was great for more empathy. So we um, I I have four amazing fellow founders and we held a thinking at the Royal Festival Hall. And we invited all the sort of obvious author and literacy charities and people that I knew, but also a whole raft of psychologists and child development specialists and said, we, we're not sure anybody's really making enough of this link. What do you think? And we had a whole load of really great workshops. And Sue Hendra was there, I remember, and really helped us um, pin up all the notices and things. And basically the conclusion of all these very eminent people was that, no, the not nearly enough was being done. And they basically said, go forth and do something, um, and so the first thing we did was wrote an article in The Guardian, the teacher bit of The Guardian, saying, wow, there's all this amazing research. Is anybody kind of thinking about that? And we got absolutely inundated by schools saying we're so worried about empathy levels um, in our children and indeed in parents and kind of lack of understanding and a focus on me, me, me. So we started working with a group of um, what we call our pioneer schools on, well, what would an empathy literature based empathy program look like? And we worked with um, 10, 11 schools for about two years. um, And that formed the basis of our schools program. And then for the schools program, they said, why don't we have a day, an empathy day in the year towards the end of the year where we celebrate what we've been doing so we had a sort of mini empathy day with 10 um schools and then the idea started to sort of catch light you know how in the world of education everybody kind of shares all the time so empathy day started growing and then um we were joined by an amazing volunteer for the who's now um head of publicity at Osborne, but she was volunteering with us and she said what you really need is an annual read for empathy collection where you are recommending your um empathy rich books and why what are the reasons for those and, and you know what text might be particularly strong so we started that so we have this kind of blissful period that i love most of experimentation and trying things out and basically now 10 years on It's turned into what we've started calling an empathy year where we have a series of resources and interventions for everybody, anybody, but very much for schools um, to really focus on how we can inspire children to build that empathy superpower. Because, of of course, children are naturally empathetic. but may not understand the word, may not realize how important it is, may not realize the role reading plays, etc. So the year, and that's what we're here to talk about today, kicks off with the Read for Empathy collection in February. Then it moves to Empathy Day with a run-up in April. Um, there's now Empathy Action Month in November where we say, okay, let's remember empathy and put it into action and, um, all of this is underpinned by research. We're working very closely with the University of Sussex on a new piece of research into, um, the effect of literature on empathy from a psychology point of view and by an all year round schools program and short courses in training. So that's settled now, really, what we do. Um, and last week, as you say, we launched the Read for Empathy collection, which is like, so lovely,
0: all those
2: amazing.
0: Books. <laughs> so just just a little retirement hobby there. Just a few bits and bobs going on, Aj. <laughs> eh, jane <laughs> Oh, Miranda, that's just—it's so
1: robust, isn't it? Everything you're talking about there, and I'm just reflecting there around this sort of annual collection that you get behind. How does a book make it to the collection? I mean, it must be doing something very unique beyond what you would a, a book that doesn't quite make it. I mean is is it easy to distinguish, discover these types of texts yes.
2: so we've we've spent a lot of time um working with a panel of judges with there's a sort of core of them, names you would very much recognize Teresa kremen being one of them um on. The criteria for our selection and we've honed those as we go along and the sort of lead one really because of the research of on what happens in our brains when we read is amazingly drawn characters you know characters that you really feel you care about and you really feel their experiences deep in your heart but then we have a whole range of others as well um one of the ones closest to my heart is about challenging our, our kind of tribalness as humans, how we te- with endlessly sort of othering people we think are different from us. So we look very much for books that are about connection between people and communities. We're always um, looking for books that are about issues that children will be seeing in the news, um, and all around them, maybe in their communities, of issues where a whole lot more empathy would really, really help. So, more um, Hannah Gold's work for you know around empathy for the creatures of the earth affected by climate change, etc. So, there's a. There's, I think there's now nine criteria and we take them really seriously and publishers, we invite publishers in the spring to to submit their titles, things that have been published in the last few years that meet those criteria and as they submit them we, we say please tell us how you think they meet those criteria. Um, and then our amazing panel of judges, um, there are 14, so they're a mixture of Grassroots teachers like John Biddle, who, you know, you'll know, I'm sure. And then people from national organisations. So recently, um, Phoebe Damages joined us from CLPE. And we read. We just read and read and read and read Um, (laughs) till November. Then we select the long list. Um, And I chair the primary panel of my fellow founder, Sarah Mears, who's um, a librarian by trade. Shares the secondary panel, and we take, we try to get a really good balance of genres, um, hugely big on diversity. So, this year's collection has 33% of creators of colour. Um, we agonise about it, or we, you know, we take it really, really seriously. And then um, Peter's Bless Them Help Us produce guides, which are free and downloadable from our website where we explain why the books we think they're good for empathy work. Um, right. And then we launch it in February.
0: Yeah, so tell us, I mean, we it's just wonderful to hear not only your amazing knowledge and experience, but your passion. It's it's beautiful. Um, but I'm sure you could tell us about each and every book in the collection this year, but we we don't have time for that. So have you chosen a few favourites that you can tell our listeners about, a few highlights from the collection that yeah. they can go and check out?
2: I have. And um, before I say what those are, and it is such an invidious thing, although like, all amazing but there's a section i'm particularly happy that we've introduced and that we've done this for the second year now of picture books under the heading of one of the key skills we aim to build which is um everybody's ability to name and recognize and share their emotions um because partly in response to teachers who've been saying particularly since the pandemic um how troubled a lot of children are, how difficult they find it to name the granularity of their emotions. And there's a lot of really powerful psychology research showing how much it helps us to be able to do that and not just say I'm sad, but to say, you know, today I'm all mixed up and I'm really miserable, but I'm Part of me is really despairing, or you know, just helping us really frame those. So this year there are eight amazing picture books um, in an emotion section. There's this this year, there's been um a really strong showing for verse novels, which um I think are, are particularly potent in an empathy connect- collection. They somehow really get you. So um there's two I was going to talk about. You won't be surprised to hear me you talk about Matt Goodfellow's The Final Year. Um, she's on everybody's lips. Extraordinary versus all. Oh, God, voice of Nate, the main character. So strongly drawn and gives you real insights into a sort of chaotic family life that is full of love. Um, so love that one. And then I don't know if you know tear, Fisher's Crossing the Line. That's in the secondary collection. And it's about a boy being sucked into county lines. Um, And it taught me so much. You know, when you get those insights into like, oh, you know, of course I know about county lines, but oh, that's what it feels like and how you could end up like that. So, you know, really powerful insights. And then the the picture book um, that sticks with me and Sarah endlessly is I Am Nefertiti, um, which is a really wonderful picture book about a little black girl who's um, the adult in her life, the teacher, shortens her name because she kind of feels that Nefertiti's a bit long, and so she shortens it. And Nefertiti feels smaller and smaller by not having her real name, kind of her whole self, recognize and she shrinks to being little tiny Neftiti. and then the teacher listens and it all gets better and by the end Neftiti is on the drums and it's fantastic but it's a very for me it was really resonant about people really seeing you for who you are um so that with that one and then I had one more. Um, I could go on forever, but I, <laughs> I know I can't. So um Safir's War in um the secondary collection could actually be suitable for upper key stage two as well. It's by Iban Lukan, and it's so poignantly resonant in the context of the Middle Eastern conflict right now. Um, so the the lead character, Safia. Is a Muslim girl in Paris in the Second World War when the Nazis are persecuting the Jews and the Jewish community is trying to kind of organize themselves to get out. And um, Sophia and her family so bravely work with the Jewish community and everybody kind of works out an escape plan and lots of them get out. And it's based on, you know, a true story, but that cooperation. Between those two communities who are putting a sort of shared humanity first um, just really made me cry at, you know, what the Israelis and the Palestinians are going through at the moment and how much focusing on our shared humanity would really help.
1: Oh, Miranda, it's it's so wonderful to listen to how much, uh, well, actually how well you know these texts and how actively, not only are you involved with the the looking and reading and discussion, but actually how much of your heart and thinking that they take
2: <laughs> on. It's a labor of love. And, and may I mention just two follow on things? Because at the same time as um, launching the collection, we opened registration for Empathy Day. Um, so we're encouraging schools everywhere to register for the free resources. And it's going to be the most amazing author showing. It's going to be incredible. Mallory Blackman's going to be leading a national assembly. So oh, register wow. for free resources. And on the 20th of February, um, Sarah, Miz and I are running a um, short CPD training course on making the most of the collection. And we'd love any teachers to come.
0: Yeah, we will definitely put those links in the show notes. Thank
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Wow, uh, Mallory Blackman, incredible. And, um, and and interlinked with the kind of the whole profile of the year and the promotion of the collection, um, I've seen that you also talk about um, empathy resolutions. What yes. are they and and who are they for and, and what do they mean?
2: Well, that's, oh, thanks for asking that. It's a really good question because we've, we've put more and more emphasis on this because obviously there's no point teaching everybody about empathy unless something's going to change. So how are we going to put empathy into action in our lives, but also kind of socially in the community? So we've gradually been using empathy resolutions as a sort of device, a bit more like a bit like New Year's resolutions. So at the end of Empathy Day, we ask everybody to make a resolution, um, which might be just quite a small behavioral change um and one of the ones i loved most last year was um a girl i think it was in john biddle's school actually saying i'm going to try not to judge people until i've got to know them better and i just thought oh if we all could do that so the authors demonstrate those on empathy day in the most wonderful montage we see authors as and illustrate key partners in all of this. And then in Empathy Action Month in November, we ask everybody to kind of, how are you getting on with that resolution? You know, do you need to kind of refresh it, start again, make a new one, whatever. And that is a sort of stepping stone to Empathy Day.
1: Oh, incredible, incredible. Like a whole tsunami of of kindness and and of course you know we know not only is reading going to make us more empathetic uh, it's also going to make us happier isn't it um Maria, yeah. miranda and that investment uh in some really crucial sort of principles is is uh sometimes where i think we might have lost our way with our curriculum you know being about whole child and uh, development of core aspects of living and being and um yeah yeah, this just sounds such an important actually access for all project. i think that's why it's so powerful how um you know if schools just need to kind of open their eyes and and get involved and there's lots of ways that they can
2: get involved And what it means, and, you know, there's an increasing emphasis on the importance of social and emotional skills with the Education Endowment Foundation really zoning in on that. And what it means is that it's not a bolt-on because you're using what's already there. And there are profound links to reading for pleasure as well. So, and the psychologist we work with most closely, Robin Banerjee at Sussex, um, continually stresses it. it's not either or you don't have to choose between attainment and social emotional skills you know children who are surrounded by empathy and know what it means will learn better because they feel safe so it's actually helps attainment um, and i really like that that you know you can have it all
0: yeah, definitely. We have a really bad habit of boxing things yeah. in education, don't we? Because we, the, the, that overemphasis on assessment and being able to tick things off has made things a bit boxy. But actually, what this does, as well as making really, actually, it's nurturing successful pupils, isn't it? Who are going to yeah. be at the forefront uh, of society. And if they're deeply empathetic as well, then they're going to be making better choices and hopefully oh, things won't exactly. look as dire as
2: yeah. they do now. And imagine a world being run
0: by people who
2: prioritise empathy. I mean,
0: Wouldn't that be amazing?
1: Yeah, yeah that and really teachers' would. work
0: is so important, isn't it? Uh, it, uh, it has been absolutely wonderful to, to chat to you. We are going to let you get back to granny duties now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. To your
1: really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Miranda. So, Heather, um, you know that I've got lots of reading units that help us deliver on the Education Endowment Foundation's latest work on the Reading House, that then interlink with, um, you know, books that the Empathy Lab promotes, and of course. Um, You are also super knowledgeable with books and texts and I know a lot of your stuff um, interlinks with uh, award-winning books and those that feature on the collection that's right isn't yes, it yes
0: it's it's nice having looked at the collection and kind of done it it's a bit like you know when you used to have swap cards and you know go, got got need <laughs> got that one got <laughs> need and kind of looking at the collection when it was released and going oh we featured that one in a early years box we featured that in a key stage two box and and you know the final year which we've obviously bigged up and, and talked about and and some books you know by authors that that we've featured as well so it it's reassuring from for us as well, isn't it, that we're choosing books that other professionals and experts are um, equally saying of, of great quality for for the classroom. Absolutely, and it's not a separate thing.
1: Everything can be kind of interconnected. And, Absolutely, uh, dealt with as a reason to read and and, and a reason to write. Um, also just on the matter of writing if you want to you know if you're feeling a bit kind of that sinking feeling about writing and you want some practical ways to deal with some of the national weaknesses head on i'm in manchester on the 15th of march uh if you wanted a cpd session writing uh, i thought i'd get that in first because these often end and i'm thinking i meant to say that didn't say it so i thought (laughs)
0: <laughs> Say so your, menop- r- your menopausal brain just forgetting
1: <laughs> i'll just put it in there with absolutely no link just a bit random there it
0: is and also um, jane if people on. want to see some of your writing units you've got some freebies for
1: them haven't you yeah yeah i'll put those in the show notes says you can download them for free you can have a go then you can come and see me in manchester and ask me loads of questions about it.
0: exciting um, ask them really tricky ones do it go for that <laughs>
1: i like tricky um yeah what are you going to read to me jane well it's it's about uh i think it's about kind of the february half term being a bit uh it, it, it's not going to be one of those holidays where it's going to be really exciting and this is about uh i've chosen this from jack noel and it's about the small stuff And it's actually called that peeling feeling My granddad told me about an artist called Joseph Boers. Joseph Boers said every activity, even peeling a potato, can be a work of art. This was in the 1960s, before the internet and oven chips, so they had a lot more time to think, like, about peeling potatoes. But even so, I think I know what he means. I like peeling things too. I like peeling. I like peeling candle wax from the kitchen table. I like peeling PVA glue from my fingers. And I like peeling potatoes when I'm helping my mum. And satsumas. I love peeling satsumas. Most days there is a point in the middle of the afternoon when mum is off checking on my grandparents and my brother is off in the other direction shouting over the garden fence and I'm all alone. Like to go to the kitchen and sit there in between things. And I'm not starving, but I am peckish. I'm not tired, but I am quiet. I'm not bored, but I'm bored enough to eat fruit on purpose. And sunlight <laughs> pushes through the open window, making the dust dance. And I take a satsuma from the fruit bowl and hold it up. Birds sing. And I look at the bumps and bulges and the pits and craters. An orange planet. I start by biting, sink my teeth into the skin just to get it going. Get a sneak peek of the taste to come like when you watch a trailer before you go to the moon. First opening is a secret door to another world like that cupboard that goes to Narnia. I work a fingertip into the opening. To keep the peel in one piece, you have to kind of wiggle your hand as you pull. Micro moves up, down, back, forth. It's as neat and as natural as a turtle moving its flippers. Turtle on blue planet gliding through the shallows. The camera below, the sun shimmering above like a radio active satsuma. Goes on, and on, and <laughs> on, and on about the moment uh, but I'm going to
0: leave it there
1: the healing feeling
0: oh I like that I don't <laughs> like satsumas uh, but I like that and I'm you know when you're talking earlier about writing and kind of those mo- breathing life into the moat. some children haven't got vast experience when we talk but you know taking the simplest of, of moments that we can all experience uh, you can unpack it. Why don't so you like
1: Consumers any... though, Heather? Like really? Oh, I,
0: I like I like the flavour of orange. You know, especially in a Terry's chocolate orange. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 it's a texture thing. I don't. Oh, like yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. like I don't like don't like the feel of it in my mouth. Any um, orange, any orange, or it, just any it. orange? Yeah, uh, not in yeah. not. Oh, I, yeah. And I really do have to be quite bored to eat fruit. <laughs> <laughs> more than bored. Uh, more than bored. Yeah. yeah. I like that line. Um, yeah. Um, I'm going to share with you. I, like I said, there's loads of books on the Empathy Lab uh, collection that have been in the uh, Reading Box subscription box. And I thought maybe I should do one of those. But then I spotted one. That I thought, oh well, we had Helen Rutter in last yes. week, yes. um, and the piano at the station. Um, you've read, have you? I thought have you talked about this one before? No, I, no, no, I can't no, remember. No. Anyway, but I, I love, I love Barrington Stoke. But those nice yes. short reads, but I've got so much in them, um great for, for for children who, who need a, a shorter reading to feel confident but also great as as read aloud and I can absolutely see why this one has been selected uh for the empathy collection so uh, the 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 main character in the book is is Lacy, a young lady who is a bit troublesome at school she's got a few bits and Bobs going on uh keeps getting chucked out of class and sent to ISO isolation um And school have put this uh, provision in place, uh, some music therapy, where she's been going at lunchtime to meet um, a music teacher who has been great with her. And she's discovered that actually she's got a bit of an affinity with playing the piano, and it's kind of helped her. But I really liked this moment, and I'm sure you can see see why. So she'd been composing a few songs in in her mind but she's she's in another lesson now. She says, today, when I wake up, I hear a song as if I've dreamed it. I can't wait to play it. I walk to school, past the New Build Estate, then past the train station. All the while, the song is playing over and over in my head. I'm in English. I'm still thinking of the song when Mrs Yardley asks me what I think of the book we are reading. I lose the song and feel annoyed. So I can't help but say the first thing that pops up. It's rubbish, miss. What's the point in reading old fart books that have nothing to do with what's really happening? I want to read about people like me, not about old posh people like you. (laughs) Everyone in the class sniggers and shuffles, knowing that it might all kick off. I've been a bit better recently. I've not felt the need to wind people up so much. But Mrs Yardley has annoyed me by making me lose my song. Lacey, I have to send you out for talking to me like that she says. But it's an interesting point. If you can't connect with a character, then how can you enjoy a story? I'll save that discussion for when you are here tomorrow. Today we will continue our work on creating a call to action based on the text. Can you remember what a call to action is, Lacey? Mrs Yardley asks as I'm clearing my desk. Save Lacey Leighton, sack the old farts, I (laughs) shout. Everyone laughs hard at this. I look at Mrs Yardley's sad face and I feel a pang of guilt. She's actually not that bad, but I couldn't help it. She totally set me up for that one. Lacey, please go to isolation and think about how you could be a little kinder to people, she says.
1: Do you know when you said Lacey has to keep going to the music room to kind of sing? I thought, oh my goodness, she's going to have to go and meet my mum and sing uh, Tina Turner Private Dance. (laughs)
0: Get it all out, get it all out. But yeah, I recommend that. It's a great one. It was nice to chat with Helen, chat yeah. with Helen last week, and uh, yeah, that's a lovely short read. So, oh, yeah. this has been a, a very nice podcast. I mean, I've, that's what I come to expect, Jane. I love my weekly check-ins with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, chucking empathy and kindness like confetti around the show. Yeah, it's been gorgeous. Oh, oh yeah. and um yeah, ten out of ten for your fashion. That's more like
0: okay. it. I bet because you've troubled me. I've been thinking about it all oh, week. So, God, I, don't be. I'm, I'm slightly anxious now because I think this is probably the only acceptable jump. <laughs> oh, what are you going to do next week? I'm thinking, what am I going to do next week? Oh,
1: bless right, you. Just
0: give up all hope and turn up in my pajamas again like I did at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, well, it's always joyous, darling. Well, um, but it's time to go. So it's big love
0: from... I still we haven't, but we've got it. <laughs> oh, what I, think, I think you're supposed to say it's big love from Heather. Oh, I say that. I was supposed that. to say, and it's heartbursts from Jane. Should we have okay.
1: another go? No, I can't be bothered.
0: I never... <laughs> <laughs> I'll just have a great <laughs> half turn, everybody. Uh, be empathetic. And, yeah.
1: um, and learn don't your line. anybody's
0: fashion. Yeah, and learn your line. <laughs> have a good one, and we'll, we'll we'll get it right next week. See you then, everybody. All right,
1: bye, darling. Bye.